1 Corinthians is where we're going to be this evening. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. We've been here a few times over the last few weeks from among different people referring to this passage. We're going to look at a completely different part of it, but it might be somewhat commonplace to you if you've been around for a few weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. For some of you who have been praying about it or aware of it, we finally were able to go into the St. Clair Nursing Home today. We've been trying to get access for about 16 months now, and ever since we got kicked out, and uh, they told us almost a month ago now we could come back, and then the night before they said they had a COVID patient or a COVID test positive, so they called us off for three more weeks, and so today was the official... um, revisiting of the St. Clair Nursing Home, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and it was a great blessing. So thank you for those who have been praying about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 3, we'll look at 1 in just a minute, but chapter 3 is where we'll begin. If you would stand with me, if you find your place, just for the reading of the text. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians Paul, writing to this church at Corinth, says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for wherein there is among you envyings and strifes and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I had planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered or watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now in the Text, we find a church who was struggling with spiritual maturity. Pastor preached on that a few Sunday mornings ago, a couple of Sunday mornings ago, and dealt with these matters of our spiritual growth. One of the evidences of their spiritual immaturity was the fact that they were followers of men. He says in verse number three that there's strifes among you. Verse four says, while one saith, I'm of Paul... And another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? He said back in chapter 1, in verse number 12, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, that was Peter, and I I am of Christ. He says there's all these different divisions among you. But he asked this question, not to get an answer, but we're going to try to answer it tonight in verse 5 of chapter 3, when he says, Who is Apollos? We don't hear that name very often, but recently I spent some time just looking into the man Apollos from the Bible, and I find him to be a man to be, as far as his character, to be desired after. We're going to take a look at that thought and answer that question tonight. Who is Apollos? Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for the scripture, how it encourages and strengthens us and ultimately brings us together. We thank you for the cross 
for grace. And we ask that your grace would be shown to us tonight, that you might be at work in our hearts, and we might be encouraged, and you might be magnified. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we were to just look here tonight in 1 Corinthians, we could find several things regarding this man, Apollos, based upon the fact that there were groups of people, sections of this church at Corinth, desiring to follow after him. We could see his influence. He was an influential man. In his influence, we find several reasons behind it. Number one, or or one of the reasons, was his ability. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But he had an ability to influence people. I'm sure you've all been around people at least once or twice where they just had that magnetic personality. From what we understand or what I've learned about Apollos, he seemed to have that magnetic touch to him. Frequently, those type of people end up as salesmen or politicians. But isn't it a blessing when you find a man or a woman, for that matter, who dedicates their life for Christ and uses their personality to influence others for Christ? We see his influence through his ability. We also see it through his humility. Look at what Paul says here. And I think he was speaking not only on the behalf of himself... But I think he was speaking on the behalf of Apollos when he says, who is Paul and who is Apollos? He, he says, basically, who are we? We're nobody. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're not trying to, you know, climb our way to the top. We're just trying to be, as he says, servants of Christ. So we see his humility. We also see his community, whom, whom he associated himself with. I don't think he was seeking to be around Paul and Peter or in that group because they were, if we could call them, big-name preachers. But he associated himself with people who also preached the gospel, also had influence, not because of their, um, necessarily their charisma, but because of their stand for truth and their courage and their boldness. We see he associated himself with Bible believers. He was a man who desired to be among those who were serving and walking with God. We also see his service here. He calls him servant, uh, a servant, both himself and Apollos. Paul refers to as just basic servants. We're servants of Christ. And what a, what a title that ought to be that we ought to be not unashamed of. That we're simply but ultimately servants of the king. We see here in verse number 6, he says, I have planted and Apollos watered. He was just coming after Paul, not trying to gain credit, just simply continuing the task as a good servant would do. We see he was in encouragement. If you would turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, I think we find this also here in the book of Corinthians. This, Corinthians mentions him more as far as in, in different Um, cases. We'll see the main context in a moment when we look over in the book of Acts. But 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 12, it says, as touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he hath a convenient time. See, to Paul, he was a great encouragement. He desired that Apollos could come to help him where he wasn't able to be. 
You know, Paul, you know, it's multiple things come to my mind. First of all, the, the ability or the amount of travel that Paul was able to accomplish without the means of our present day travels, you know, cars and planes and even the, the ships that they were on, sometimes months on the water and certainly weeks on the water. Yet he was able to, if you, if you study through his, his stops, there were so many places he was able to visit, so many miles upon foot or on horseback or on ship that he was able to see and, and, and get through. But there was times where he wanted to be here, and I think Corinth was a place that he longed to be to encourage them and strengthen them. And he saw an opportunity for Apollos to go and to stand in the place for him as just a servant and an encourager to not only Paul himself, but an encourager to the church here at Corinth. If that's all we had about the man Apollos, I would say he was a man of good reputation, of good character. But that's just a part of his life beyond his conversion or at least his understanding of the truth. Turn with me now to the book of Acts and we're going to see the most comprehensive passage of scripture that covers the man uh, Apollos. There's only one other place in Titus he's mentioned, but it's just in reference to him. Other than there in Cor uh, Corinthians that we just read and here in Acts, there's really nothing else that's said about him. I was talking to some of the young men this afternoon and as I was studying this and just considering his, what, you know, the, the basic things that says about him, he was might, we'll look at this, he was mighty in the scriptures, he knew the scriptures thoroughly. And because of that, it, it brought about several character traits through his, his abilities, his, his stand, his willingness. And as I was studying, I was reading about um, just what uh, frequently I'll read um, what commentaries have to say, but I don't put too much stock in them. But before turning to one, I had this thought. I wonder if Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. And then the very next commentary said, some people suppose that uh, Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. I said, of course they do. I, I'm one of them. And I'm not saying he did, but... It's something to think about. Acts chapter number 18, verse number 1. Here, the writer of the book of Acts is Luke, but the main character throughout the majority of it is the Apostle Paul. And here we'll find his, once again, the beginning of Apollos, but then his, I think, the beginning of the companionship that he would have shared with this man, Apollos. Look at verse number 1. So as after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And these two will come up throughout scripture, but just to remind yourselves, this was a husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla. It says they, because they were of Claudia, I'm sorry, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. So he finds himself among these two believers. This is Paul. And here's what brought them together, verse number three, not only their faith, but it says, and because he was of the same craft, of the same occupation or business, he abode with them and wrought, or he worked. And it says, for by their occupation, they were tent makers. Now, <clears throat> most of you would know this, but 
Paul had a bit of a side business, mending or making tents. Also, Aquila and Priscilla had this occupation. So they shared something in common. They worked together a little bit, and they were able to encourage one another. Now, we're not going to read the remaining verses throughout the middle of this chapter, but we find that there's a separation among the two, into, or the two groups of people. Paul goes his way. He's, he's destined to get back to Jerusalem. He'll make multiple stops along the way. And then we see Aquila and Priscilla, and they, we, we'll find them again in verse number 24. <clears throat> it says, in a certain Jew named, um, I'm sorry, throughout, the, starting in verse 24, we'll see them in a moment, but we'll go back to Apollos in verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, and we begin to see a series or a list of his character qualities or his abilities, and this is what we'll focus on tonight. It says, first of all, he was an eloquent man. <clears throat> There's a lot to be said about a person's ability to communicate through language. I think it ought to be something that all of us are pursuing to get better in. You say, well, the preacher needs to be a better communicator, and certainly. But I think the parent needs to be a better communicator to his child. I think the husband needs to be a better communicator to his wife. And the wife ought to be a better communicator to her husband. Ultimately, as the song the choir sang, our desire, our purpose, our goal ought to be to lift up the cross and preach the cross. And the more effectively we're able to communicate that, the better it is. Now you say, well, the important thing is that the Spirit of God is using us. And I don't discredit one ounce the magnitude and the power of not only the gospel itself, but God working through the gospel. But if you remember that in the beginning, God said. God was the originator of language. He was the originator of communication. And he chose language to be the way we, we, we take one message and give it to another. He didn't use sign language. He didn't use writing. He used verbal communication. The most effective, I believe the most effective way we translate the word of God and translate the gospel message from one individual to another is through verbal communication. Now you can do that through emails. You can do that through a video chat. You can do that through a letter. But I don't think there's any more effective means by which we take the gospel and give it to another than one-on-one -on -one verbal communication. And the more effectively we're able to do that, the better. In fact, turn with me. You're in Acts. Just turn over to the right to Romans. Romans chapter number 10. This is the great passage where we often quote verse 13 where it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A verse I quoted in the nursing home today to remind the folks that there's only one way to heaven and simply by calling out to Christ you can be born again. But often we stop right there, but look at verse number 14. Except during a missions conference, we fail to remember these verses. It says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, we're in Romans 10, 15... How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good, joy, uh, of good things. 
Then look down in verse number 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Our ability to take the word of God, the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, and clearly and effectively communicate it to another may mean the difference between them being born again and them refusing to hear or receive Christ. Now, again, there's something far more valuable than my ability in speaking, and that's the Spirit's willingness to work through me. Same thing goes for you. But to think that you're, you're working on speaking isn't important, I think it's very foolish. For there are people, maybe even in this room tonight, that say, well, I'd like to witness, but I don't know what to say. Well, that work, that's, a, that's okay for a new Christian, but that shouldn't be something you hang on to for months or years or decades into your Christian life. All right? There, you can go to the library and get how to communicate for dummies. It, you know, it's not that difficult to learn to communicate. Here we find a man who was eloquent. His ability to communicate was just spot on. It was clear. It was, it was one of those... He was one of those preachers or one of those speakers that when he spoke, he, you sat on the edge of your seat. You just enjoyed. You, you couldn't help but listen. Now, th that could have come from multiple things. Some people, I believe, are naturally gifted in this area. And I, I've met and seen them. But most people, most of us, require a great bit of diligence and learning and, and work and listening and and being guided and, and being willing to admit we need help. I would encourage you in your communicating that you would never stop learning and stop seeking to be more eloquent. I don't think it's something that we need to make our goal to become eloquent, but it ought to be something we're striving to become, not for our own glory, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of being more effective believers and gospel ministers. We see, first of all, he was an eloquent man. Look, continue there in verse number 24. That he was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. I love that statement. I love that testimony. I was talking to some of our young people about this passage, and I thought, man, if one day on my tombstone it said, Justin Hoke, mighty in the scriptures, I would consider that a worthy accomplishment, a, a worthwhile testimony. And you say, well, well, what's required in that? Well, of course you know what's required in that. It's the willingness to study the scriptures. It's the willingness to seek after God. It's the willingness to pursue the truth. Turn over with me to 2 Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy encourages him over and over throughout this short book, these two separate books, about his time and diligence in the word of God. If there was one thing we find through First and Second Timothy that Paul is encouraging this young man to do, it's to get into the book. Now, he didn't have a book, I suppose, like we do. Get into the scroll, right? Get the, get the parchments out and study the word of God. Look at verse number, chapter number three of Second Timothy and verse number 14. Paul writing to Timothy says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, the things that you're confident in, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
And then this verse we often quote, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And look at verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. That's a, that's a word for completion. He's, he's complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How, how, do you, how do you receive that completeness as a believer, as a man of God, as a teacher, as an instructor, by getting into the word of God? Don't ever minimize the need for both Bible reading and Bible study. It ought to be a a daily part of our life. There ought to be a a growing desire to not only read truth, but to listen to truth, listen to teaching. To think that you know everything is very foolish, right? There There ought to be times where we seek guidance and seek help. Now, the Spirit of God is our teacher when it comes to the Bible. There's no other teacher that ought to replace the Spirit of God. When we come to God and get into His Word and and trusting Him and allowing Him to just work in our minds and work in our heart and allow Him to speak through us, there's no other classroom that can suffice for that. But I think there ought to be moments or times where we allow other men or for the ladies, women. I'll confess there have been times where I've listened to the radio, and there'll be a women's Bible study on it. Sometimes I sneak my ear in and listen, see what women actually talk about in those things, see how I can be a better husband by what they talk about to ladies and uh, complain to ladies about. But there ought to be a a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. Why? Because we're seeking to be, once again, what was, it began with his eloquence, his ability to communicate the Word of God. I think everyone would like to be eloquent, but what, where, where did that come about? I think it came about because he was mighty in the scriptures. He knew the word of God, the truth that had been delivered unto him. And by the way, it was all so much more difficult than it is now for Apollos to get into the scriptures than it is for you and I. The, 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 the completion of the word of God was not even close at that time. It would have been very difficult to get all the Old Testament writings in one volume or even in one place to be able to study them. I, we were just reading, if you're following the, the daily Bible reading that the church gives out, they're in Isaiah where he says, he talks about line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's how you study the Word of God. You put truth and then you add truth and then you add truth just a little at a time and a little at a time and it builds upon each other to make a sturdy and firm foundation. It's hard to do that when you've only got parts of Scripture here and there. We have a completion of the the Word of God. We have a more sure word of prophecy. But it's our responsibility to pursue it and study it and listen to it and examine it and desire it. It's possible for all of us to earn or build the reputation as being mighty in Scripture, but it's going to require much work and diligence. As we continue here, we find in verse number 24, it, just, it finishes verse 24 by saying he came to Ephesus. Now the significance here is that this is where Aquila and Priscilla are and they're going to meet him, they're going to run into him. And I think this is a divine meeting of the two. But it says, verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. 
Now, it'll continue by saying, there in verse um, 20, uh, at the end of verse 25, I'm sorry, it says, he spake diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, he had a, a limited understanding of truth, but he was instructed, I love that phrase, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. He had been taught, he had been discipled. Now, I don't know, it's possible that he had previously run into John the Baptist and been instructed personally from him. I kind of doubt it, but I guess it's possible. I suppose that a disciple of John had somehow made his way down this way. Now, it says he began in Alexandria. That was much south of where he's at now. And it could have been that just another believer reached him and began to share with him the truth. Or maybe his parents were disciples of John. And they began to share the truth with their young Apollos. Regardless of that, it reminds me of the need for us to be in the truth, be in the way of the Lord, be instructed in this way, and to instruct others in this way. It encourages me or reminds me the important and the need, the importance and the need to instruct our children in the way of the Lord. From a young child is what we just read re referring to Timothy. From a young child you knew the Holy Scriptures. What a, what a, not a, just a, um, attribute on the child's part for learning them, but in Timothy's case, a, an attribute to his mother and his grandmother who had pursued and, and desired to teach him that matter. As a parent, are you seeking to guide your children in the way of the Lord? Is that a priority? Is that a goal? You know, so often we find ourselves seeking after temporary and and really quite carnal goals. And I, there are certain things in life that aren't necessarily sinful. But if that becomes your ultimate pursuit, it becomes sinful. So often we want our kids to be the best athlete on the team. We want them to make the A-plus honor roll. We want them to, as they grow up, learn a trade and get a job and go to college. And we have all these ambitions and dreams and, and desires. And aside from getting out of balance, none of those things are wrong or sinful. But are we making the priority that they're walking in the way of the Lord? Before the basketball team is at the way of the Lord. Before the college degree and diploma is at the way of the Lord. This ought to be the foundation is so much more important. But it's our responsibility as parents to guide our children into that. But then even as adults, as men and women, are we pursuing to remain walking the way of the Lord? Are we still learning the way of the Lord? Are we still being trained and taught in the way of the Lord? This also ought to be our desire and our quest as, as believers that we remain in this way. He was grounded. He was discipled. Look over there in verse number 26. It says, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. It says he was a bold teacher or speaker. I'm going to hit this one and come back. I think I skipped a couple. Forgot to follow my notes. We'll, we'll talk about his boldness, though. Where did his boldness come from? I think his boldness came from him being grounded in truth. He knew what he believed, and he believed what he knew. 
I think that's important because sometimes we have a knowledge of things, but we don't really believe it. Or we have a belief in a thing, but we really don't know anything about it. And it's hard to explain something we really don't know. We, we, we believe it because the preacher said it or because, you know, it's clearly it says this in the Bible, but we don't really know why we believe it. We don't, we don't know the origination of it. We don't know the context of it. We just heard someone repeat, say it and we repeat it and so we believe it. But I think this man, he wasn't just a parrot. He wasn't just repeating what he was saying. But instead he was seeking to know, is this really scriptural? Is this really truth? And as he understood it to be truth, he then placed it into a practical understanding and said, yes, this is what I believe. And I'm going to stand upon it. Therefore, I have no hesitation to preach it. I have boldness and courage because I know this is what God has told me. This is what God has shown me. This is what God has revealed to me, and I have no apologies to reveal it or share it or show it to another person. I think one of the concerns or maybe the, the hesitations people have regarding witnessing, they say, well, I just don't know, I don't know what to say. Well, good night, learn what to say. Get in, get in the book and study the book so that you might have something to say. There ought to be a passion within our hearts to know the truth that we might share the truth. This boldness came from his willingness to get in the word. Look back in verse number 25. It said, after he was instructed in the way of the Lord, it says, and being fervent in spirit. We see his fervent or his zeal, his enthusiasm. I've heard preachers before that were doctrinally sound Man, they were tough to listen to. You know, you just wonder sometimes, does he really believe what he's saying? Does he, there's no passion, there's no heart, there's no zeal. This was a man who as he spoke and as he preached and as he shared the truth, I think it was very evident by his, his passion or his fervency that what he was saying was coming from within. It was genuine. I think sometimes children have an ability to read this, sometimes more than adults do, which ought to encourage every parent to not just repeat truth, but believe truth, to not just know truth, but obey truth. He was a zealous man. By the way, I might add that enthusiasm isn't the only thing. And some people make it that way, because I've also heard on the other side men who they were exciting to listen to, but I didn't get much out of their preaching. There, there's, a, there's a balance there. I think the, the truth ought to come from the heart. There ought to be a passion to it, not because we're trying to make a show, but because we believe sincerely what we're saying and trying to communicate. It says in verse number 25, he was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. He was a thorough man. His diligence was in his personal nature, his personal life, was reflected in the way he communicated. He, he left no stone un, unturned. He, he thoroughly examined the truth and relayed the truth. We had a group of men meeting a few months ago. Years ago, we're going to do another one soon. That's what we said in the last meeting. And uh, we, we've just been talking about preaching. And 
and taking notes and writing sermon outlines and, and such. And I got to remember what I was talking about. Being diligent. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm complaining about the fact that we haven't done another one in so long. And uh, we were talking about going through books of the Bible, studying b- books of the Bible. And Pastor made this, and we, we talked about it for a while. But he said one of the, the, not problems, but one of the dangers of going verse by verse is you've got to know what every verse says. You know, sometimes when you preach a sermon, you can just say, well, we're going to stop at this verse because I don't, really know how to, I don't really know how to explain the next verse. And I'm not, you know, no preacher knows how to explain every verse because... This is the word of God, and when you reach a understanding of it all, you've reached a, a new plane that I don't think is able to be reached. But there's a need for especially those who teach and preach the word of God, but it ought to be a desire for all believers to really know even the hard parts of Scripture, to have a thorough understanding of truth, to, to desire... And by the way, we're all on different levels. We're all on different, um, we're all, you know, spiritual, we, as we, I mentioned the spiritual maturity, we're all in different places. But all of us ought to not be remaining in any certain place. We ought to always be growing. And there are times where I'll read over things that last year I had no idea what they meant. And what do you do? You read them again. You study them again. You ask questions. You, you listen. You learn. And you trust the Lord that he'll reveal truth unto you. This was a man who was diligent. He was thorough. He, he desired not to just know concepts. He desired to dig into the deeper parts of truth and of the scripture. We can jump back down to verse number 26 now. And he, spa- he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And there was a couple that were there listening. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they were listening to him speak. And I'm sure they admired his ability, his eloquence. They admired his courage. They admired his diligence. But they realized he was preaching something that had some lacking truth. Remember what we read up in verse number 25? It says he spake, this is the last part of verse 25... He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, because this is all we know and this is all we're given, I can't give you any sure or precise definitions to where he stood. But it seems that he either had failed to recognize that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, or he failed to recognize the significance of his death and resurrection, maybe he failed to understand that his resurrection had occurred, maybe he had just missed the message altogether, we don't know, but the, the, the message of John was that Messiah would come. He said, I'm preparing the way because the Son of God, the Lamb of God is on his way, he'd be the one who would take away the sin of the world. And it seems that Apollos was preaching that message, that the Lamb of God is coming to take away the sin of the world. Well, you know that in the book of Acts, Jesus had already come. He had already paid sin's debt. He had already become victor, victor over sin, death, and the grave when he rose the third day. And then he had already risen back to heaven, ascended back to heaven. He, he was gone for the meantime. 
But Apollos is still preaching the sermons that John preached. Yes, it was scriptural, it was, it was Old Testament, and it was truth, but it had, it had ceased to be the need. Now the need was to preach the, the Christ who had come. So look at what happens in verse number 26. As Aquila and Priscilla hear this, they had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto, unto him the way of God more perfectly, more completely, more, more thoroughly than he had already understood it. Now, we don't know a lot about Aquila and Priscilla, but what a picture of a good couple, just a good, serving, faithful couple we find. They heard this man, Apollos, preaching, and they said, he needs some help. Yes, he's bold. I, I just always, I picture these two as older folks. I don't know why. I don't know. They might have been a young couple. But I picture them as being an elderly couple. I picture them as being quiet and kind of simple. And instead of complaining, instead of criticizing, they invite him over for lunch. Right? That's the way you, you break the news to someone. They invite him over. They said, Apollos, you got you to gotta try Priscilla's biscuits. You got to come, come have them. I don't know how, what happened. But somehow they, they, they receive Apollos into a Bible study. And maybe over lunch, Aquila says, you know, I've been studying here in this, I got this old scroll, the book of Isaiah. You know a little bit about the Bible, right? And they begin to talk about scripture. And I don't know how it went down, but they, he begins to explain that man, Jesus, was everything the prophets prophesied. All the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the man Christ Jesus. We see now his openness. What a man who's open to learning. He, he's got so much going for him, but he's still willing, he's still open, he's still receptive. What a need for even preachers to have this heart that's open to truth. I remember hearing a man years ago say this. He said, um, he was probably in his 40s or so, and this was 10 or 15, uh, 15 or 20 years ago now. But he said, there were things 10 years ago that I thought I knew that now I, don't, I didn't know them. I realize now that I was wrong. He said, that tells me that it's possible in 10 years I'm going to look back and say, 10 years ago I was wrong. And I, I, I really respected that willingness to say, there may be things that come to my mind or I understand that I'm willing to say I'm wrong. I remember reading um, a man was a preacher was basically calling out another preacher. And he said, I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm going to read you the, the letter that I wrote him. And he read a letter and he said, these are the things that I, it was a church, they, they were close together and um, as far as their relationship. And he said, this is the letter that I sent him, and he read it, and he said, these are the things, I re I'm really struggling to agree with you, and I wouldn't mind maybe sitting down and looking at him. And this other preacher responded and said, we're both old, you're not going to change, and I'm not going to change. What a sorry testimony of a preacher to say, I'm old, so I'm not changing. By the way, that, that goes for parenting, that goes for marriage, that goes for children, teenagers. There ought to be a willingness in our heart to say, I'm human, therefore I find myself wrong at times, and I'm going to be open to truth. I'm going to be open to 
someone speaking at me. So many people, when they heard Aquila or Priscilla saying, can, I think, can we examine this closely? I, I think you've missed something. So many people would take that. Well, you're just picking on me. You're just trying to say I'm wrong. You, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Just this attitude of, I'm not going to listen. This attitude of, of pride and, and selfishness and unwillingness to respond to admonition. As a believer, when someone admonishes us, even if it's in the wrong spirit, there ought to be a willingness to receive that. You don't have to change, especially immediately. But you ought to be willing at least to receive their admonition with grace. And here was a man, Apollos, who graciously received the admonition. There was no command to change. And at first he may have thought, I've been studying this for years. There's no way I'm wrong. But still he was willing and he was open to receive instruction. Which brings me to my final point and I think the most impressive or important attribute that this man Apollos had. Look down in verse number 27. So they have expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, we don't know how the conversation went, but it's time for him to move on. The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. He's encouraging, he's discipling. How is he doing it? Look at verse number 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Here we see his humility. He was a man of humility who said, Aquila, you're right, and I'm wrong, and I'm going to change. I'm going to preach the truth. I've been in error I've been confused. I've been not on purpose. He wasn't a heretic. He was just, he was missing some doctrine. He was missing some scripture. He had failed to recognize and he said, I'm wrong. The Jesus that I'm preaching that will come has indeed already come. And he began to preach Christ, the risen, the crucified and risen and ascended Lord. We're not going to, speak much of this, but in chapter 19 and verse 1, I don't think there's coincidence by which it follows. It says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos is still back at Corinth in this area of Greece, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus, this is on the other side of the Aegean Sea, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Christ. So at the same time, Paul's running into similar people like Apollos. They were struggling with who Christ was and whether or not he had come. And look at verse number five. And they heard that, and w uh, when they had heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now it doesn't tell us this in either place, but I'm of the, of the persuasion, if it's necessary to be persuaded in this matter, that Apollos was baptized here. Maybe not by Paul, but he had been 
He'd been, I was supposed, baptized prior to this, but it really wasn't a scriptural baptism because he, he, he wasn't even in true accordance with scripture of the understanding that Christ had come. So it seems to me, just like these other believers now were baptized, they had already been baptized under the understanding that Jesus would come, now that they're trusting truly that Jesus had come, the Messiah had come, we're receiving him, Jesus, as our Messiah. They were, they were I'm not going to say rebaptized, but they were rebaptized. Here Apollos, I suppose, was willing in his humility to say, I think I'm now ready for scriptural baptism. We see his humility. What a man. Apollos is now my favorite Bible character. If you just want to, I should have named one of my kids Apollos. Honey, we might have to have one more boy. <laughs> Can we change one of their names anyways? Apollos. I asked the guys tonight, I walked in the, I had some of these young men helping me with song books. They were doing some work on our teen books. And I walked in and I just, I said the title of the sermon. I said, who is Apollos? And Ethan looked at me and he goes, wasn't that some kind of a space mission or a spaceship? <laughs> Apollo, not Apollos. Who is Apollos? He was eloquent. Yes, he was scriptural. Indeed, he was grounded. He was discipled. He was a zealous man. He had fervency for what he spoke. He was diligent in the matter. He was bold. He was open. But ultimately, he was humble. In James, he says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Uh, humble. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. Why was he raised up in his... And let me read again. Look at verse number 28, the last part of uh, chapter 20, uh, 18, verse 28. And he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing the scriptures, that Jesus was the Christ. In a day where these same Jews had crucified Christ, now he is mightily convincing them. Why? Because he was willing to humble himself. And I think through his humility, God was able to use him in a much prof more profound way. What's lacking in our lives today? Maybe it's our ability to communicate. Maybe it's our knowledge of the truth. Maybe it's we're not really grounded in that truth. Or we're not really passionate about the truth. Maybe we're not diligent to know the truth. Maybe we're not bold in giving the truth. Maybe we're not open to receiving the truth. And if all those things or any of those things are a part of our life, the cure for that is humility. Because humility says, I need the truth, and I need to be a better communicator of the truth, and I need to be bold with the truth, and I'm willing to submit myself in my humility that God might lift us up and use us. Who is Apollos? In one word, he was a man of humility. Therefore, God used him. Let's let God use us tonight through our humility and our willingness to apply ourselves to sound doctrine. Let's all pray as, and stand, if you would, with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you for lessons of Scripture and demonstrations of truth through men like Apollos. Lord, help us to be willing, as Apollos was, to examine our own lives 
and receive truth and long to be be understanding and knowledgeable and, and open to the word of God. And in our humility, may you raise us up to be used for thee and glorify your name. Help us as a church in this matter that we would pursue the word of God. And I pray that you would take us and use us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, maybe you're here and you'd say at least one of these things that Apollos had.